We're looking at building a legacy of missions in the home here this morning. And uh, if you look at the title there, it's Project 938. Now, this is not some government experimental thing going on here that, uh, that you may be familiar with. But Michael's already explained a little bit about that here this morning, what Project 938 is. And we're going to be talking about missions starting at the home. All right, but our key verse for Project 938 is found in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 and 38. Uh, and let's read the verse together. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray that the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, this is Missions Month. We're starting our Missions Month this, uh, this Sunday here, here this morning. But of course, it's Father's Day as well. And so I was thinking of a way that I can go and, and sort of incorporate the two together. And so I decided uh, to go and read the entire chapter because I wanted to get some idea of what this key verse was all about. And it's always important uh, when you're reading scriptures, that don't just pull a, a verse out of context, but just read the whole context so you get a better idea of what that verse is talking about. And as I was reading this whole verse... I came across a, um, a story about a father and his daughter. And so what I want to do is look at this story here this morning, and I want to merge the two ideas into one. And so uh, let's read this, in story, this story in its entirety, and then we're going to swing back and have a, a little bit closer look at it a little bit later on. So Matthew chapter 9, if you want to back up a few verses, if you're following along in your Bible, otherwise it'll be on the screen for you. It says, While he spoke these things to them... Behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hands on her, and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and, and, so, did his, and so did his disciples. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for twelve years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment... I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman who was made well from that hour, and the woman was made well from, from that hour, and, and when Jesus came into the ruler's house, he saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, and he said to them, Make room, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in, took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went out into all the land. Now, this is a fantastic story on its own. But remember, we want to try to tie in our theme of missions with it as well. And so what I'd like to do is to look at the actions of this father uh, within this story and apply them to our missions theme here this morning. What do we see, first of all? Well, first of all, we see the father's pursuit. We see the father's pursuit. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 18, it says, While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hands on her, and she will live. So first thing we see here is a father. We see a father who willfully pursued Jesus. He willfully pursued Jesus. Now, if we want to build a mission's legacy in the home, then the fathers need to pursue Jesus personally. This man was a ruler, in this, and, and, and he was probably having you know, all kinds of servants around to do his bidding. I mean, why not just send one of his servants to track down Jesus? I mean, this could have easily been justified. 
needing to stay home with his family during this tragic, this, this, this difficult time in their lives. But instead of sending someone else, he made a willful decision to go and to find Jesus personally. Now, why did he do such a thing? Because his daughter had a need. His daughter had a need. When our loved ones, especially our children, have needs, sometimes it requires for us to get out of our comfort zone and to make an effort to help them out. When it comes to your child, I've seen many parents go through extraordinary means in order to save a child's life. Matthew's account in this event is really more of an overview. And so if we would, let's look at Mark or Luke's account, and it gives us a bit more insight into this story. So let's fill in some of the gaps and some of the blanks with Mark's account. In Mark chapter 5, verse 22, it says, And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came. So here we find out that he is a ruler of a synagogue. And his name was Jairus. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. And so Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. So we find out, according to Mark's account, that when Jairus first came to Jesus, his daughter was living, though she was near death. And so he wasn't asking Jesus to raise her back to life again, but simply he was asking Jesus to heal her. This mission was so important that he would not pass on the responsibility to others, and he took it upon himself to come and to seek Jesus on behalf of his daughter. Let me ask you, are your kids important enough to you for you to seek Jesus on their behalf? I, I, I'm especially talking to fathers here this morning because we are instructed to be the spiritual leaders of the family. Unfortunately, too many Christian, in too many Christians' home, that responsibility has sort of been handballed over to mom. She's the one responsible to bring them to church. She's the one responsible to do devotions with them. She's the one responsible to pray with them and to answer their spiritual questions and to point them to Jesus. Or if it's not the mom, it's the church. Hey, let's take them to church. They're the professionals over there. Let's, let's get them their responsibility. Let's let them take care of our kids and teach them about Jesus. And if it's not the church, well, hey, maybe we can get them in a good Christian school. Let's make it their responsibility. Let's let our, let's let our kids, uh, the schools, sort out our kids for us in regards to their spiritual journey. Ultimately, it's not the responsibility of the church or of the Christian schools to instill the knowledge of God in the life of your child. They can assist, they can help, but ultimately the responsibility lies with the parents of that child. The parents, especially the fathers, are to be engaging Jesus for their kids, yet we see them offloading that responsibility to others. And listen, it shouldn't be that way. That's why I'm so encouraged with the fathers that are here this morning. They made it a point to come to church even on Father's Day. We are the ones that are, are, are to be personally pursuing Jesus on behalf of our family. But also notice he worshiped Jesus. Notice that this was the first thing that he did before he made a request. In verses uh, 
uh, 18, it says, While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him. Let me ask you, fathers, do your children see you worshipping Jesus? Do your children see you worshipping Jesus? In both the good times and the bad? I mean, there are times when we neglect our worship and then some terrible event happens in our lives and we feel the need to go running back to Jesus. And I'm not suggesting that we don't do that because sometimes in those very circumstances is what drives us back to Jesus. But before we go asking for assistance for our kids, I think it's important to recognize our standing before God. If all we are doing is treating God like a genie and only coming to Him when we have problems that we can't solve, listen, my friend, that's not worship. That's not worship. Worship comes from Him being Lord of your life in the good times and bad. And yes, I understand sometimes tragic events can drive us to Jesus. But even in those times, let's make sure that we give Him His proper place in our lives through our worship. This is what we want to teach our kids. That God has preeminence in our life. That God has first place in our lives. And I know this is difficult. I know this is hard for some people because they honestly believe that their kids are the most important thing in their life. And they go and they, they, they raise their kids in that way. And then what happens when their kids grow up and their kids leave home? Oftentimes, the, the two spouses kind of look at you, each other and like, well, who are you? <laughs> because they haven't given them any time. And so let me encourage you here this morning. Our kids are not the most important thing in our family. Our spouses are not the most important thing in our family. It's putting Christ first, putting God first in our families. That's what's most important. But notice also he waited on Jesus. This is probably the hardest part sometimes. Because we want God to work immediately. We want God to work right now. When we come to God and we give a request to God, we want answers right now. I enjoy a cup of coffee. And uh, I've got a, a nice little coffee machine at home. And, and really all I have to do is go up and push a button. And the coffee just comes out. But you know what happens sometimes? Sometimes I'm sitting there. Come on, come on, come on. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Come on, coffee, come on. I get so impatient with my coffee machine sometimes. And if I can get impatient with my coffee machine... Guess what? I can get impatient with God sometimes as well. Because I want God to hurry up and respond. And here this, this father begged Jesus to come and to heal his daughter. And Jesus had agreed and he was on his way and, 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 and then he was interrupted. I mean, keep in mind, mind this girl is dying. He's dying. She's dying. And, and, and the last thing that you want is to be delayed in providing life-saving measures for your child. Occasionally, I, I'll go and flip on the TV just, just to have a look around and, and see what's playing. And, and one day, I, 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 I opened up the, 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 the um, TV, and, and there was a uh, show about ambulances. And I thought, well, this is uh, interesting. I started watching this show. I don't even know what the name of it is, ambulance or paramedic or something like that. But, but, but I was watching this. And they would go through the stories about how they go and rescue people, and, and, and they go through all the stories. But one thing I found very interesting was that they, at one point in the show, they actually showed a map. And in the map, they had these little flags or little speech bubbles or something that actually shows you where all the calls are currently coming from. 
And uh, you've got uh, somebody over here that's had a baby. You've got uh, grandma over here that's had a fall and broke her hip. You've got grandpa over here who's had a heart attack. Uh, uh, you've got a child, over, or a, young, a young person over here who's about to commit suicide. Uh, you've got this, this little child that's come off his skateboard and broken leg. And then you've got all these things that are happening out there, all these calls that are coming in. And you've got at least little, two little ambulances that you can see. And you're like, my goodness, it's going to take them forever to go and answer all those calls. But with this particular show, I found it interesting because uh, the ambulances was going to one resident, and it was almost probably just like a minute away. And then they got the call to actually be diverted to go to another call, which was 30 minutes across town, because it was more urgent. And I was thinking, man, can you imagine being that family? Can you imagine maybe uh, uh, your loved one that you're trying to console and, and that's maybe in a lot of pain or, or hurting and you're saying, hang on, hang on. Hey, listen, I hear the sirens. They're coming. They're on the way. Hang on. Just, just, just hang in there. And then all of a sudden you start hearing the sirens getting further and further away. And so you go make the phone call and say, hey, what's, what's happening? What's going on? I just heard the sirens and I don't hear them anymore. Oh, oh sorry. We had a more, more urgent need that, that we had to divert them. Can you imagine how devastating that may be, especially if you feel like your child is in danger? In Matthew chapter 9, verse 20, it said, And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years, notice that, 12 years, came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I may be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter. He called her daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. I don't think it's a coincidence that she's had this problem from 12 years and, and Jesus called her daughter. Because this is a, exactly what this father's trying to accomplish here. He's got a 12-year-old daughter that he's wanting to get help for. Now in Mark and Luke's version, it includes a much longer dialogue. You can almost feel the tension in this man's body. This woman has caused Jesus to stop, and she is receiving healing, which is exactly what he wants for his daughter. I mean, I don't know about you, but if it was me, I'd be sitting there saying, you know, hey, come on, come on, Jesus. Time's wasting. My, my daughter is dying. Her life is in the balance. She needs your help. Why are you stopping? Why are you talking with this woman? Look, she's dealt with this problem for 12 years. What's a couple more hours? My daughter's dying. I'd be getting the, 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 uh, the disciples and, and getting their attention saying, hey, hey, come on, let's get a move on. Let's move. My daughter has a need. We need to get moving. And Jesus turns around and begins to have a conversation with this woman. He's talking to, to his disciples in the crowd. Now, who touched me? What's going on? Look what happened in Mark chapter 5, verse 35. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house. Here Jesus is having a conversation with these people, and maybe out of the corner of his eye, he sees one of the servants coming and talking to this ruler. And as he, as he listens in, he hears the ruler say, guess what? Your, your daughter is dead. Your daughter is dead. Can you imagine? 
Listen, I've never had to deal with the death of a child before. But I I can't even imagine what they would go through. I can't even imagine that. How heartbroken they must be to, to, to have a child who has died. But notice what else they say. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Are you kidding me? Here my daughter has just died. And you're concerned with, 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 with the effects of the teacher here? You're, you're, you're concerned about me bothering the teacher? Are you kidding me? My daughter has just died. You're too late. I mean, if only Jesus would have just stepped up and, and sped up a little bit and, and picked up his pace. If only Jesus had not stopped for this woman. If only this woman had not stopped Jesus. If only I came earlier. If only I, I, I brought a horse or a donkey so we can travel much faster. When God doesn't respond the way we think he should, we may be tempted to do the if onlys. If only. I have raised my children in a good Christian home. And I taught them about Jesus, but they refused to live for the Lord. If only I did this. If only I did that. If only I I said this, or maybe I shouldn't have said that. And we played this game of, of if only. He knew of Jesus as a healer, but that's as far as his knowledge went. So the advice that was given to him was just, hey, your daughter's dead. Just leave Jesus alone. You no longer have a need of him. Let me tell you something here, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to me very carefully. Don't you dare believe that lie. Don't you dare believe that lie. Don't give up on your kids because God can still do a miracle in your child's life. When it looks like all hope is gone, cry out to Jesus even more because nothing builds a legacy of missions more than seeing God doing a miracle in the life of your child. And if God can do a work in their life, then He can do a work in the life of others as well. And when we experience God working in our lives, then we are able and have a desire to share that experience with others. Don't you dare believe that lie. But I love this next bit. Notice what Jesus did. This is awesome. Look at what Jesus did. In Mark chapter 5, verse 36, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he's heard the conversation, he's seen the guy come up, and he's looking out of the corner of his eye, and he sees the, the ruler say, your daughter is dead, don't bother Jesus anymore. Don't bother him anymore. Look at what he says. And he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Isn't that awesome? Don't be afraid. Only believe. Your daughter is dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. Hey, hey, hey. No, no, no. Come here, come here, come here. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Only believe. 
Jesus didn't leave him hanging. He didn't just allow him to walk away in sorrow. He spoke the words of comfort when the man was at his lowest. And after making the trip to get the healer, he gets the news that his daughter is dead, his heart is shattered, he is hurting inside, and the situation may look bleak, but Jesus says to the Father, don't be afraid, only believe. Maybe this morning, this is the message that God has for some parents. Maybe this is the message that God has for you this morning. Do you still believe that God can do a work in your child's life? It doesn't matter where you're at or, or, or where they're at or what, that, what they've done. Do you believe that God can still resurrect their spiritual life? As long as they have breath, God can still do a work in their life. You parents, you see, our mission starts at home. We should be seeking God and crying out to God to do a work in the life of our children. You see, before she was sick and she needed healing, and now she was dead, she needed life. And the only way to give her life was to bring the life giver to her. But notice here a father's desire. A father's desire, he desired healing. He knew that there was something wrong with his daughter, and so he went to find the healer, and he found the healer, and he made a request, come and heal my daughter. But healing wasn't his daughter's greatest need. We find that out because a servant comes along later on and says, hey, look, I'm sorry, but she's dead. She's dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. But Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. Now his desire for his daughter changes. He doesn't desire healing, now he desired life. Sometimes we can go to God and we can pray for our, ch our, our child's career and, and our child's health and, and pray that God will help them make good grades and, and have a great education and maybe get a good job and we can pray for the things of our kids. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with praying for those things. But let me ask you here this morning, is that your child's greatest need? Is that your child's greatest need? Are you praying more for their social life and their social status than we do for, your, for their eternal soul? That's great that you have your child's future all planned out for them. Where they're going to live, what they're going to study, where they're going to study at, what kind of work they're going to be involved in. But have you considered that God may have a greater plan in mind for your child? Do we pray, God, this is my desire for my child? But in the end, do we say, but your will be done. But your will be done. And Lord, if my desires for my child doesn't match up with your will, then Father, change my heart. Change my heart. Help me to surrender my child to you because mission begins in the home. But also a desire to Savior. Listen, we live in an insane world today. Our world needs a Savior. 
We have governments and society that, that, that are telling us, you know, how, not only telling us how to raise our kids, but they're actually legislating it. Threatening parents with fines and imprisonments and loss of children if we as parents don't teach them their ideals and the things that they want us to teach our kids. And instead of religious beliefs going out of our families into our society, our society's beliefs are, are increasingly infiltrating our families. Our society is telling us that we should not be coercing our, our children to be religious. That they should be able to make a free choice and, and, and choose to follow God or society, whatever they want to do. Much criticism is placed upon the Christian families these days because we teach our kids the difference between right and wrong and good and evil. We teach our kids that there is a God and He has a purpose and plan for their lives. In fact, we learned a few weeks ago at the ACL meeting, Australian Christian Lobby meeting, that this is now being legislated in places like Victoria. We're not talking about some communist country here, folks. We're talking about Australia. A place where we're supposed to have religious freedom. There's a time coming when parents may be fined and go to jail or even lose custody of their children for simply teaching them biblical truth. Let me ask you, do you just walk away? Do you just walk away like was told Jarius here? Just, just, to, just don't worry about it. Just leave it alone. Media is too strong. They're too, we can't compete with that. The government is too great. We can't compete with them. So we'll just leave it. We'll just let it go. We'll just walk away. Or do you stick with the Savior? The hope for our kids in the next generation lies with Jesus Christ, our Savior. And without Him, there is no hope for humanity. We have no hope. Notice also the Father's example. You see, sometimes we have to overcome comfort. He took it upon Himself to come and to get Jesus. He didn't delegate that to another. It was too important. We look around in our society... And the couch seems to be more important to fathers than their children. You may say, Dwayne, that's being a little bit harsh. But all you have to do is look around and find out where the fathers spend most of their time. In many homes, the kids are told to go and play with their friends or spend hours playing on video games while their father is either working or sitting down at the couch watching TV. We don't see many fathers engaging their kids if they are present at all. And I know that kids sometimes make it difficult. It's not easy. But if we're going to engage the spiritual matters of our kids, then we must communicate with them, which means that we have to actively pursue them. It is no longer about my comfort. It is about their soul. We also need to overcome self. As a ruler, he could have thought more highly of himself than he should have. It may have been undignified to go and chasing after some healer. After all, I mean, he was the ruler of the synagogue. But desperate times calls for desperate measures. And this is why all the snake oil salesmen and the quack doctors get so much business out there because people are desperate. And if there's any chance of hope, they will grab onto it with both hands and they'll even lose everything in order to make it happen. When your kids are dying, you're not thinking about yourself. You're grasping on for any hope that you can get a hold of. But let me encourage you here this morning. Let me encourage you. 
Don't wait for desperate times in order to start, start seeking God for your children. Start asking God to do a work in your child's life right now. Right now. We also may have to overcome opposition. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 23, when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, Make room, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. Notice that next bit. And they ridiculed him. They ridiculed him. <clears throat> but when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went out into all the land. Can you imagine being a person of notoriety? And people are laughing at you. Your daughter is dead. And you have someone who you believe can raise her back to life again. And those who were supposed to be mourning are now the ones that are ridiculing her. See, back in those days, they had professional mourners. Whenever you had a death, uh, they would hire these people and they would come and they would wail and they would weep and make music and, and, uh, and they would make a, a big deal about it. But when Jesus walked in, said that she's sleeping, they started ridiculing him. And all of a sudden now your tragedy has become their entertainment. Well, I can't help but wonder... How many times this story was told to this 12-year-old girl? I wonder if they uh, maybe marked the date on the calendar. And, and each, each year, they would have like a resurrection party. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, hey, that's what I would do. I would imagine that throughout her life, uh, she would have been told of the example of her father and how, she cha how he chased down Jesus so that she could be healed. And even when he was told that, that she was dead, Jesus said, don't be afraid. Just believe. And as he looked into the eyes of Jesus, filled with compassion, in that instant, a heart that was broken and hurting was filled with hope once again. And when that hope and belief, and with that hope and belief, he brought Jesus to your bedside, Oh, little girl, he, he, he brought Jesus to your bedside and the mourners were mocking him and making fun of him so much so that they had to kick him out of the house. Oh, but darling, you should have seen their faces. You should have seen their faces when they were outside mocking and making jokes and all of a sudden they looked up and you were standing there in the doorway. Oh, you should have seen them. They were standing there like stun bullets with their mouth wide open. They couldn't believe it. It was priceless. And they went and told everyone. Little girl, God used your miracle to be a witness to our community. And as a result of that, people came to know Jesus. In fact, so much so that later on, Jesus says that the harvest is plenty of Plentiful, but the laborers are few. We want our kids to know that their life can make a difference in our world. 
That is the legacy we want to be building in the life of our children, sharing with them how God is at work in our lives and in, 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 their, in their lives. And notice how this all came about. We're going to go full circle here this morning. It came about because of Father's request. A Father's request. And we see the asking of Jesus. Hey, look, we used to have a sign in our house that says, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I believe my parents did the best they could in order to live that out in our lives. But how often do you invite Jesus into your home? How often do you ask Jesus to come and to be part of your family? Or is your home a place where Jesus would even feel welcome? Do we try to squeeze him in between the TV commercials? Or, or do we, if we're binging on Netflix, we can't even do that. Is our life so busy with work and frivolous things that we lose sight of our mission? Do we invite Jesus to be a part of our family? Listen, do we invite our family to be a part of Jesus? It starts with an invitation. Asking Jesus to be a part of our family and making Him the focus of our lives. But also there was abiding with Jesus as well. He didn't send a telegram. He didn't send a messenger. He was willing to worship and walk with Jesus. Now, I don't know uh, what they discussed on the walk and the length of time it took them to get to where they were, to where they needed to go, to his daughter. But part of me thinks that Jesus was, was hanging out with, with Jairus here, and he says, uh, hey, Jairus, tell me about your daughter. Tell me about your daughter. What is she like? What, do you, what does she want to grow up to be one day? Listen, we can't take people where we ourselves have not been. If we want our kids to grow up walking with Jesus, then we must model that before them. Is there a guarantee that they will follow in your footsteps? Well, no, not really. At some point in their lives, they must decide for themselves, but their chances are much better when they have been given a godly example to live by. And God promises His word would not return void, and it's our job as parents, especially the fathers, to instill the word of God into our children. We are an example to them, modeling the godly, what a godly man looked like and how he should live. Our kids should see us worshiping and praying and living for God and doing His will in our lives. But also we see the allowing of Jesus to work at some point in their lives. Our influence as parents will only go so far. We continue to pray and we continue to be an example, but we, return, but we turn them over to God. And even if our kids are spiritually dead, God can do a work in their hearts that you and I can't. Jesus simply tells us, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. As the musicians come, home is where... Our mission begins. Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray for more laborers. But where are those laborers going to come from? The next generation. Unfortunately, I've heard more stories than I would like from kids who feel the pull of God into ministry, only to have their parents forbid them from doing so. The parents say that they love God and they want to serve God, but when it comes to their kids, they're reluctant to give their children over for God's service. Listen, we all want what's best for our kids, and we all have a desire even for them to live a life that maybe we didn't. But there is no greater call to be involved in God's mission 
You may be concerned for your child's safety, but the safest place for your child is the center of God's will in their life, even if it means that they're on a mission field in some jungle. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Building a legacy of missions in your home today is important. As we go through this mission service this month, begin to think of ways to introduce your missions to your your family and start to stimulate mission thinking in your child's mind. And be willing to surrender your child over to God, even if it means that they go into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Let's be missions-minded and begin building a legacy of mission in our homes. And let's start today. Lord, we do thank you for our time together. And as we think about missions today, Lord, I pray, God, that you would begin to work in our hearts. Lord, help us to understand that it's your desire that all are to be saved, Lord. Every person deserves a chance to know Jesus. But you have put in that responsibility on us to go and share that good news with others. And Lord, if we're going to reach this world for Christ, then it is important for us to establish a missions legacy within the next generation. And Lord, you've given parents that responsibility. And so God, I pray that we will be able to step up. I pray that we would be able to, 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 to have the wisdom that we need in order to lead and guide our families into this truth. And we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.